Welcome to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast, where changing the world starts with changing the home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. Hi, I'm Meredith Curtis. Welcome to Finish Well Podcast. I'm so excited that you're joining us today. And we are excited to be talking about Christianity and Marxism today. I hope that you are ready for a wild ride. We're going to go cover a lot of ground today. This is episode 118. And if you go to our show notes, you'll find like a very detailed show notes. So if you miss anything in the podcast, you can go back and get the show notes. There's a big push right now in our culture to embrace Marxism. And we see it in the Democratic Party. We see it in the Black Lives Matter that's become very popular. And the the founders of it have said that they are trained Marxists. So they're not only like agree with a little, but they're actually Marxists and they agree with that. So it makes me think, you know, here as a Christian, what about Marxism? What about socialism, communism, whatever name you give it? Can that coexist with Christianity? I want to look at that, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So what basically was it that Marx talked about? He didn't invent communism, but he really gave it a definition, and he became very popular, not so much when he was alive, but after he was dead. And he had a friend named Frederick Ingalls, and he actually supported him. Marx never actually had a job or owned a company or worked in a company or studied economics. He was, you know, he self-studied it and history mainly and drew his own conclusions, and yet so many people follow his advice. So it's just kind of interesting He abhorred capitalism, and yet he was completely supported by capitalists. Frederick Engels' dad owned a business, and he was the one who supported his son and then Karl Marx's family in addition. So what Karl Marx did is he gave a definition to socialism, and when Lenin took control of Russia and it became a communist nation, he implemented to the best of his ability what Karl Marx wrote about. So then all of the other overthrows in the 20th century, all of those communist dictators were actually trained in Russia. Isn't that interesting? They actually had a training school on how to throw over a nation that a free nation and make communists. So very interesting. So we're going to talk about what is socialism. And a basic definition would be from each according to his ability to each according to his need. So the idea is that everyone owns everything and you just take what you need. So if you're immediately probably thinking of communes that were popular in the 1800s, then again in the 1960s, 70s, And that would be exactly the idea, except at a national and then eventually international level. So Publix is a very popular supermarket in where I live. I live in Central Florida. And Publix does something with its employees. After you work in Publix for a while, you get stock as part of your your paycheck. And you can buy more stock. You don't have to just get the stock that comes with your pay. But... You own a share of the company. That's what a stock is. So you freely buy a share of the company, and a company owner freely shares parts of his company so that there's more than one owner, and that's what you know stocks are all about. So that works really well because Publix employees are invested in the company, and when the company does well, they do well. So that is something that would be similar, but not quite with socialism is socialism is more that the government actually takes control of businesses and they tell businesses what they can and can't do and they actually own them, they own the finished products. And so 
what you see there, I'll give you an example. In in the 1950s, Venezuela was the fifth richest nation in the entire world. That meant that per capita, per person, the average income per person in Venezuela was the fifth highest. So there were four other nations only in the whole world where the average person made more money than the people in Venezuela. So starting in the 60s, early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, the government in Venezuela started nationalizing the companies. Now what had happened is foreign investors had gone in and they had paid money to rent buildings, build buildings, rent land. They had paid money to the people who owned it or to the government, whoever owned the land. And then they had built these corporations. So the government came in and then they said, your business belongs to me now. So, oh, you're probably thinking, wow, that's stealing. Well, yes, but when the government does it, they have the, you know, gun power to do it. So they came in and they took these companies and nationalized them or made them belong to the, the government. And within just a few years, things really deteriorated. And then eventually, the nation became completely communist and just saw the complete downfall. Venezuela today is in shambles. They're in shambles. So it's really, really sad. That is kind of, honestly, the scenario of what happens. It's it's an idealistic idea that if everybody will work hard and just take what they need and it doesn't really take into account the nature of man. So the disadvantage of socialism is laziness and apathy. And one of the things that Aldous Huxley said, who was a famous Marxist or socialist, he said, it's only when we have renounced our preoccupation with I, me, and mine that we can truly possess the world in which we live. Everything provided that we regard nothing as property. And not only is everything ours, it's also everyone else's. So the idea is that human beings can come to this place where they're altruistic and they just say, I don't own anything. Everything is everyone's and everything that everyone owns is mine. And just imagine doing that with your little children saying, okay, all the toys are going to be everyone's and you don't own anything and anyone can sleep in your bed that wants to and you can sleep in anyone else's, what would happen? Well, the stronger people would start ruling over the weaker people and that's kind of what happens because communism rests on a belief that man is basically good and capable of being good. I mean, except for wealthy people and white men. Um, everyone else is basically good. So what what has to work for socialism to come into power into a nation and to keep its power is something called groupthink. And in groupthink, everyone agrees with these things. And you might disagree before the communists come into power. You might say, well, I don't agree with this and this and this. And that's fine. But once the communists come into power, they determine what you're allowed to speak and what you're allowed to write and what you're allowed even to talk about with your spouse. And so you have to adhere to this group think. And I'm going to just list the different things and then I'm going to go one by one and compare these thoughts with what Christianity says. So I already mentioned the first one. People are basically good except the rich. Another thing that communists believe is the theory of victimization. And this is how they stir up unrest. So they always look for victims. And anytime they can possibly exploit any situation, they look for that. So everyone is either a victim or they're victimizing. So if you're the, quote, victimizer, you have to feel a lot of guilt. And if you're the victim, you just can't help who you are because people have trodden you down and you're trying to get out. Victimization causes unrest. It's very, very toxic. It's a very toxic ideology. And you see in our our nation, as more and more people buy into this idea of victimization, 
you see more and more people going to counseling and not necessarily being transformed, but just being more firmly rooted in this idea, I am a victim. Just very sad. Another thing that communists believe is that the group is more important than the individual. And that you see, especially in 20th century, century history, when I researched my 20th century history book, I saw this so much because, especially when it came to wars and how they fought, because in Western culture, even though many Western cultures are post-Christian, they still have this Christian idea that the individual is important and valued. And so a United States commander going into a battle, he's going to try to win the battle, but come out with, with the, as little loss of life as possible. But in a lot of the communist side, they will just send waves and waves and waves of their men to die to win a battle. So just very different. And it all comes down to their worldview that it's not the individual that's important, but it's the group. So what's the big deal if an individual loses his life, if that's what's best for the group? Another thing communists believe is that wealth is not created. It just is there. And that's something that it is just a lack of understanding of economics. There is wealth that is just there. Like there is gold in a mountain that's just there. But if you don't mine it, you will never get it. But most wealth is created. Someone says, oh, there's a need for this product or this service, and they create it. And then people purchase it, and it's that buying and selling that creates wealth. So that is another thing that communists just kind of look around at a wealthy nation and think, wow, if we just take all of that and divide it to everyone, everyone will have everything they need. But it takes... A person to take a risk and say, hey, I'm going to try this and try this and do this and do this to create wealth. So anyway, that's just an economics thing, and I won't go off into that. But it is just kind of a lack of the basic understanding of how economics works. Hard work is not connected to wealth. That's another idea, that hard work. And um, one of the things Karl Marx said is, yeah, like, I mean, and when communism takes over, I could just wake up in the morning and I could, you know, go out and work on a farm. And then in the afternoon, I might work on a factory and then in the evening, paint a picture. So basically, I can do whatever I want because it really doesn't matter what I do. And there's that kind of entitlement idea like I should have my needs met and but I should also have a happy easy life. And that's kind of a mentality underneath that. Another part of groupthink is that private ownership should be replaced with collective ownership. And this, again, goes to when I talked about nationalizing companies, that just means that instead of people owning them, the government takes them away from the owners, and then they own the company themselves. And that is interesting because it's not really that all the people own it. Because if you think about it, like our national parks are like that. Like the government has taken that land and they've said, this is our land. And those national parks, even though technically they would say, oh, well, everybody in America owns it. That's not true because when I go to a national park, I usually have to pay to get in. And then I have to follow the rules that they've set. So if it was my property, I wouldn't have to pay to get in. And I would be able to create my own rules. So there's, you know, the ideal is the collective. Everybody owns it. But the truth is, it ends up being the government that has all the power and owns everything. The goal of business is to provide jobs rather than make a profit. Again, that's just a lack of understanding of basic economics because the goal of a business is to make a profit. And if a business makes a profit, one of the things it can do is provide jobs. But if that's your mentality, that a business only exists to create jobs, then it really shuts out all the small businesses. A lot of people who have businesses only make enough money to provide for their family. And that's why in communist countries, they don't allow entrepreneurship. They don't allow people to start their own business. Another part of groupthink is that the government grants rights rather than protects God-given rights. 
So, for example, God doesn't give you the right to murder someone. He actually forbids murder. But now our government is saying abortion is a right, but it isn't a right because rights are something God gives to human beings, and the government's job is to protect it. What God does do is he gives us autonomy, and he says, here's how I want you to live, but you make the choice. And, of course, the government has been given power by God to punish evil. So if I decide I'm going to steal your property, the government has the right to arrest me. But if I'm going to say something like, it's okay to steal property, then I have the right as freedom of speech to say that. God gave me the right to think for myself and share those thoughts. We don't get that because... In America, we have so much freedom to say what we want to say. Say America was taken over by a communist country, all that freedom would be gone. And maybe you would say, well, I would agree with all the Marxists. I completely agree. But then what if you didn't? You wouldn't be able to say anything. We just so take freedom for granted. But we have to remember those rights were given to us as human beings That's why Paul and Peter said we have to obey God, not man, when they told him not to talk about Jesus because our rights, we have the right to talk about Jesus. And that government should have been protecting those rights and not saying that they couldn't do that. Another part of groupthink is that government is the provider, not God. And that government should provide cradle to to grave. The Spartans were like that. They were a very aggressive people. They won a lot of the wars they fought, and they were always trying to expand their empire. And part of what they did is that they had um, a form of socialism, and the government provided the children were taken away from the parents, and they were raised in these like collective places that people all ate together. It was very much like what we call communism, And as a result, the people weren't, like, they never produced beautiful art. They never produced anything like that because their their whole thing was to live for the government and what the government wanted. It was really sad because if a baby was born deformed, they just left the baby out to die. When people became old, they killed them when they were no longer useful. So it was a very, very harsh, hard-to-live-in society. But... They did have that provision from the government. But the Bible says that God's our provider. And the Bible provides for families through the fathers working hard. It definitely is not the same. Uh, Group think another thing is that God does not exist. And this may be the biggest core value of communism. Is that God does not exist or intervene in the affairs of men. And when you think about that, that just right there... Atheism is so important in communism because, number one, everything about communism seems to be completely contrary to what the Word of God says. But also, communism requires that you worship and esteem the group, the charismatic communist leader, the government that you esteem those things to a crazy, crazy degree. And so if you're worshiping God, your allegiance is to God, not the state. So it just can't, it can't coexist. And we're going to talk about that more. And then finally, uh, another tenant is evolution and materialism. Um, that means that there's no spiritual, there's not a spiritual dimension Everything is what you can see and touch, and that evolution has been not only taking place biologically, but also in the form of society, that society is finally, that the communism is the highest form of evolution. So slavery is actually in that path of evolution, and then capitalism, and then finally communism. And But for communism, to evolve, there has to be a violent overthrow. So it's kind of a little bit contradictory because evolution isn't supposed to require a violent overthrow. I don't believe in evolution. I believe God created the world and everything in it in six days and the universe. But that is definitely 
basically what you see is all there is. There's nothing more. There's no life after death. And with that, no consequences. So anyway, that is, in a nutshell, the group think. And now what I want to do is I want to look at those things, and I just want to share some of what the Bible says about those things. And I think it will give us a lot of understanding because one of the things also about not believing in God is that there's actually no moral framework they have to adhere to. So basically, whatever is best in the moment is what works. And so morals change. When the communists first took over Russia, they promoted abortion, they promoted free sex, women leaving their children and all of this stuff. But as time went on and there was such a high divorce rate and families were falling apart, they realized they did need families and they did need that stability for their nation to not fall apart. So then then they actually started promoting more morality, but not because they believed God wanted them to do that, but just because it would be more beneficial. A big thing about communists is the end justifies the means. When my friend Maria was in communist Cuba, they did not know Castro was a communist until he had been elected because he lied. He lied all the time. And I was really blessed, honestly, that the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement came out and said we're trained Marxists because so many communists have hidden it. And our first president of the United Nations was an American, but he was a communist spy for Russia. And so we've had so many situations where the communists will say whatever needs to be said because they don't have a moral framework to tell them that lying is wrong. And that is a scary thing because who do you believe and who do you trust? So anyway, let me look at these things that are part of groupthink and then just look at what the Bible says about them. People are basically good except the bourgeois or the rich people, which, by the way, the bourgeois would be like middle class. It's not like people living in a hut. In fact, in America, most people do live well. Our poor live better than other people around the world. If you ever visit other nations and then visit, you know, our poorest nations, they do live better. Um, So basically, the Bible says, so God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And that's Genesis one twenty seven. But then in Genesis 3, Eve ate the apple and sin entered the world and that perfection was gone. So mankind was perfect, but now mankind is conceived in sin. And Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, usually people can say with the Ten Commandments, oh, I obey that, God's first in my life, or I obey that, I honor my parents, or I obey that, I keep the Sabbath holy. But there are two commandments that most people realize that they are not perfect. They're they're conceived in sin. And one is you shall not steal, and one is you shall not covet, because most people want what other people have. So... Mankind isn't basically good. Mankind has a sin problem, and that's why Jesus went to the cross. The next group think is that theory of victimization to stir up unrest. I told you about that. I know that in the 60s, Martin Luther was constantly approached by communists who wanted to get involved in the civil rights movement. And in fact, there's a really good sermon that he preached in Can Can a Christian Be a Communist? And it was really, really good. And just exposing the contradiction between communism and Christianity. But Martin Luther was very anti-communist. And he did not believe in that. And he had more of a Christian worldview. And so it's very interesting. It was very interesting in the 60s. And my thought was, what if Martin Luther had allowed the communists to get involved in the civil rights movement? It definitely would have changed history. But he was someone who stood as a hero in his day and rejected it. 
so the theory of victimization, are there victims? Yes. Is everyone a victim? No. And because maybe you have had some bad happen to you in one situation, it doesn't mean that you are a victim. It means that you have been victimized, but you can be set free from that and you can move forward in, in your life. And then this is what Proverbs 17:15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So it's not okay to justify wickedness and say, oh, it's because they're a victim. And it's not okay to condemn people who are good people and to say, oh, they're just, you know, they're always victimizing. They're bad. Their skin is a certain color, so they're bad people. That is called racism. And you can say it's not, but the truth is it's racist and it's prejudiced. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Psalm 133.1 Romans 12.16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of a low position. Do not be conceited. And First Chronicles 30 verse 12 says, Also in Judah the hand of the Lord was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. Romans 12.4 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Romans 16.17, I appeal you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So God basically says, Divisive people bear bad fruit. You should stay away from them. If someone is stirring up divisiveness by targeting one group of people, making them seem wicked and evil, and then all people who have that color skin or are that sex or believe this thing, they're bad people. The Jews know what that's like because they are probably the people who have experienced the most racism since Abraham. They have experienced so much attack in their in in their in all of history, but God says unity is what works, and unity is what gets the favor of God. I want to share a story with you from Rwanda, and if you want to learn more about this, you can watch a movie called Hotel Rwanda. But I just want you to know it's a really sad movie. Rwanda is a country in Africa. As most of the countries in Africa were, for a while it was a colony. And when it was a colony, there were different tribes. But the two main tribes were the Tutsis and the Hutus. And the Hutus were darker skinned and the Tutsis were lighter skinned. And so when the Europeans came in and they were kind of running the country and then a lot of the pastors were European uh, pastors and they ended up putting a lot of the Tutsis in power. So the Tutsis had a lot of power in the government and they had a lot of power in the church. They would become the priests and different things like that. Well, people started realizing this isn't right. This is not fair. So the Hutus are being left out in the cold. Let's take care of the Hutus. And that was correct. They should have done that. And the Hutus should have been treated equally. So they they started being treated equally. And the Hutus began to have power in government. And the Hutus began to, you know, have leadership in the church. But then something dark happened. The Hutus began to hate the Tutsis and say, you are so evil. You caused all this bad to happen to us. Now, at the time, this was stirring up. That wasn't the case. That was from the past, from the history from the past. But they kept stirring it up. And then you know what they did? They started saying it was okay to kill them. And soon... The government, in the hands of the Hutus, said, we're going to kill the Tutsis. And it was genocide. They began to kill as many Tutsis as they could. The average Hutu did not want that to happen. It was just some of these hate-filled Hutus that wanted that to happen. And when the Hutus would try to rescue or, or protect the Tutsis, they were slaughtered too. In the end... 
80% of the Tutsi population was exterminated. They were killed ruthlessly, horribly. And what a blight on the country of Rwanda. You do not want to be in a country where people are killing people. It is almost 80 years past Nazi Germany, and the Germans still feel shame over what Hitler and his Nazi party did to the Jews and to others. And so you do not want to be part of people who are doing evil. And this whole idea of being a victim leads to eventually revenge. I'm going to burn down your property because your people a hundred years ago victimized me. Or, you know, I don't like the way this government is doing things, so we're going to deface the government building. All of that is playing into divisiveness and revenge, which never brings about good, lasting fruit. The next part of group think is that the group is more important than the individual. The group is important. I mean, we have a lot of groups. God established sovereign nations. He established the family. He established the church. All of those are very important. But when it comes to salvation, when it comes to salvation, it is the individual. And Galatians 6.4 says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And um, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The thing is about a group, eventually it's an individual choice of how you live your life. And it's an individual choice of where you spend eternity. No one can do that for you. And so when you elevate the group so much above the individual that the individual really has no meaning, that individual will eventually pay the price of rejecting God because we don't go as a group to heaven or hell. We go as an individual we face judgment as an individual. We live our life and make our choices and have consequence to those choices as an individual. So it's a very, very dangerous and unbiblical thing to elevate the group and say that the individual is not important. The next part of group think is that wealth is not created. It just exists. And I talked a little about that where like with the gold, like yeah, the gold can just be there in the mind, but it has to be taken out and something has to be done with it so that it can get to people. It says in Deuteronomy 8.18, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm the covenant which he swore to your fathers to this day. So in Deuteronomy, it's basically saying God gives the power to make wealth. Wealth is made. It's not just there. And so one of the things that happens a lot of time in the communist government is that you have people that are good at manipulating and convincing other people about what they say and sometimes lying to get in power and they know how to keep power, but they don't necessarily know how to run a business. And what happens is that when you don't know how to run a business, you don't know how to run a farm, you don't know how to do those things, eventually poverty seeps in. And it, it really is, is devastating. Um, it, there's not an exception to that. In all the communist takeovers of the 20th century, there is not an exception to the just horrific poverty that follows a communist takeover because they don't understand this basic principle that wealth has to be created. It's not just there. You can't just take everything that's there and divide it all out. It has to keep being created. And then finally, hard work is not connected to wealth. 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 and 12. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. 
Um, you probably all know the story about Jamestown, and Captain John Smith is famous for saying that. If the man won't work, he won't eat. Well, he was actually quoting from the scripture, Second Thessalonians 3, 11, 12. And um, what he was basically was happening is that in the colonies setting up in America, it was businesses that set up the, col- the very first colonies. They were businesses. So it was the London Company. They would send, they would pay the passage over, but they wanted a return on their investment. And so they were supposed to grow crops and send back crops. Jamestown eventually paid everything off by sending tobacco. And the tobacco ended up being, you know, their wealth for quite a while. But what happened when they first got there is they were all, they all just shared everything in common. And so they would eat together, they would share the food, and so some people would work really hard and other people were just super lazy. And so it wasn't working because people were getting frustrated, fights were breaking out, but mainly there wasn't enough food because everyone needed to work. So finally Captain John Smith just said, hey, if you didn't work, no dinner, no breakfast, no lunch, no snack. And things turned around quite a bit. There was another situation like that with Plymouth and the same thing. And it wasn't until the men each had their own family and they would contribute a percentage to pay the company back. And then they had the rest to eat. And that's when the colony really began to thrive very, very early on. So America has experimented with communism and it doesn't work, just so you know. Another verse is Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So basically, it's not enough to just take what other people are working for. You need to put forth the work too. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of its milk? Um, that is Second Corinthians 9-7. So basically, the people who work hard deserve, deserve to enjoy the profit of what they work hard. So God commends hard work. In Proverbs 20:13, it says, Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. So basically, if you're lazy, if you're not a hard worker, you will struggle. But hard work brings a profit. That's another verse in Proverbs. So right now, we're going to take a break. We're going to hear from our sponsor. And when we get back, we're going to finish looking at these group thing, ideas from communism and what the Bible says about them. So we will be right back. History shouldn't be boring. Meredith and Laura have some exciting new ebooks to bring the fun and excitement back into history. Studying the Middle Ages? Get Let's Have Our Own Medieval Banquet and Cook Up Some Fun. Studying Ancient History? How about making some recipes from the Ancient History Cookbook? Or get some creative ideas from Let's Have Our Own Olympic Games or Let's Have Our Own Archaeological Dig. These books are available at Amazon.com. The ebooks are available at powerlineprod.com. Powerline Productions exists to serve you. We want to equip you to be joyful and successful in your homeschooling adventure. Powerline Productions, being world changers, raising world changers. Listening to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast on the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. Now back to your host, Meredith Curtis. Hi, welcome back. We're going to finish talking about communism and Christianity and can it mix? Is it compatible in any way. So we're going through these ideas of groupthink. The next one is private ownership should be replaced with collective ownership. This is a really big thing. One of the first things 
that people do when they take over a free nation is the government just takes over all the businesses. And usually that is a huge disaster. But Isaiah 65, 21 and 22 says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people, and my chosen ones shall enjoy long life, and they shall enjoy the work of their hands. Now from 1 Corinthians 9-7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense. We talked about that verse. So it really isn't right for someone to take over someone's business. It's okay for someone to say, hey, I'll sell you my business. But to just confiscate something is not right. Private ownership is God's plan. He talks about every man under his own fig tree. The next thing is that the goal of businesses is to provide jobs rather than make a profit. Proverbs 27:18 says, Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. In Proverbs 18:9 says, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Zechariah 11:12 says, I said to them, If it is good in your sight, give me my wages. If not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. This is just basically showing that it's from the profit that people are able to add more employees and grow. But the kind of the norm in scripture is someone maybe having a family farm having a business, having a vineyard, and taking care of their family, and sometimes hiring other people, like someone with a big vineyard would have to hire workers to come. Equal pay is another thing that communists, everyone should get the same, no matter what they do. In Matthew 25, there's the parable of the vineyard, and basically the the master or the owner of the vineyard hires some workers and says, hey, if you give me a a day's work, I'll give you a denarius. And they say, fine. But then later he goes out and he hires more a few hours later. So they work a shorter day. And then he hires more and they work an even shorter day. And basically all of them get the same amount of money. He, He keeps his word to the ones who work from the beginning, but the other ones just work a few hours, but they get the same amount of money. And it it is about the kingdom of heaven, but it is also kind of something to say, you know what? A business owner can pay his employees what he wants to. And I know that is not popular at all in our culture. But another is the, the parable of the talents where Jesus gives one man five talents, one two and another one. And he comes back later and says, hey, what did you do with your talents? So... We don't all receive the same. We don't all receive the same giftings, the same intelligence, the same family that we're born into. But the question isn't what did we receive, but the question is what did we do with what we received? Another part of groupthink is that the government grants rights rather than protects rights. The Lord allows us to choose him, to choose to do or not do what is right. Only God judges our thoughts and choices. The government can judge and punish our behavior if it harms other people or their property, but they can't make us think a certain way. And in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, it says this, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed will live. So you have a choice, and you have many choices, and the government isn't the one who gave you those choices. The government is supposed to protect those choices, but God is the one who gave you those choices. Another part of groupthink is that the government is the provider, not God, providing from cradle to grave. In Matthew 6, it says, When you give to the needy, give it quietly. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. 
in Second Corinthians 9-2, it says, Each one of you must give as he's decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves to see us give voluntarily. He's looking for us to give voluntarily. And so it's not okay for the government to take one person's money and give it to another. It's okay for that person to take their money and give it to someone else. But it's not okay for the government to do that. That would be considered stealing. And the government is the only one who is not entrusted with giving to the poor. The families required to give to the poor. Businesses are and people, but the government is left out of that, probably because when the government does things it's not supposed to do, it doesn't do a good job. And finally, God does not exist or intervene in the affairs of men. And of course, the whole Bible contradicts that. God is constantly interfering in the affairs of men, not just with the Jews, not just with the early church, but with nations throughout the scripture. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and he sovereignly reigns over all. That's Psalm 103.19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Luke 4, 18 and 19. That's what Jesus said he was here to do. God does intervene in the affairs of men. He does care what we do. He didn't just set the world in motion and walk away. He does exist. He exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who trust in his word. So don't fall into the lies that communism spouts. And some of them that it keeps covered up until it finally takes control. Know what communism stands for and don't be deceived by it. Don't underestimate the power of communism to destroy a nation. The problem with capitalism and, and communism, I want to talk about that really quickly we live in a fallen world, and there are problems with capitalism. It's definitely not perfect. Capitalism needs a moral framework. If you don't have a moral framework for capitalism, it's hard to keep greed under control, and people can take advantage of other people. And it's important for people to speak out, especially right now. We see human trafficking. We see slavery, modern slavery, where people are in bondage and forced to work in servitude. And we see all kinds of stuff going on that we have to speak out against. Speaking out against things doesn't mean that we speak out against anyone. To say that in the nation, in the state of Florida, you know, this one person um, had a slave. We don't speak out against the whole state of Florida. We deal with that issue, and we get that person free, and we punish the person who did it. It was wrong. In colonial New England, they they had lots of rules, you know. <laughs> if you read history, it's really funny to read their laws. But one of their laws was you could not make past a certain amount of money because they felt like it would be too hard to become greedy and not love the Lord. Anyway, that's just food for thought. But there is a need for government when it comes to capitalism. I, I'm pretty much a free market person, but I'm not naive enough to think there doesn't need to be rules that the government enforces because we don't want people to take advantage of other people. This is what Winston Churchill said, and I love this quote. The inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings. The inherent virtue of communism is the equal sharing of miseries. And that's the whole thing, that capitalism, in capitalism, things are very unequal. But everyone is better off in a capitalist nation. In communists, things are more equal, except for the elite who live like kings. But everybody's miserable and poor and can't get enough food. So... The idea is, and I remember Margaret Thatcher saying, so are you saying that you would rather the poor be poorer and everyone else be poor with them than for everyone to be elevated and, you know, but just have it be unequal? And the person, the communist said, yes, 
everyone should be equal, even if they're all miserable and poor. So that's just silly. And I'm not saying all communists believe that. But the bottom line is this. Communism never works in the long term. There are many examples. I'm going to do a podcast on the different nations that were overtaken by communists. There was Russia. There was China. There was Vietnam. There was Korea. There was uh, all of Eastern Europe. But I'm going to focus on Hungary. And there was Zimbabwe and Cuba, of course, and Venezuela. And I'm going to look at all those nations, and you will see communism does not work. Socialists cry, power to the people, and they raise their clenched fists. That's a big thing, you know, the clenched fists. I'm a Marxist. But we all know what they really mean. They mean power over the people, power to the state, power to the government. And that was what Maggie Thatcher said, and I completely agree with her. It's a game. It is a game that destroys. And every time you see communists take over a nation, you see millions being slaughtered. And communism creates dependence rather than freedom. When people are under that entitlement oppression where they have to conform to everything the government says or they could possibly lose their lives. When they live in fear like that, they don't even know how to be free. And when we live in so much freedom, we cannot even imagine what it would be like to live without freedom. It would be really helpful for all these people who are crying out for communism to maybe spend a year in North Korea. And just live like a communist and see what it's like and see if that's what they really want. But until then, I would beg you, if you are listening to communist rhetoric and you are thinking, wow, this sounds really good, please listen to the rest of my podcasts. And please, I beg you, read the word of God because the word of God contradicts the group think of communism and realize that what they're sharing with you is an illusion and they are not sharing the whole truth with you. Take a look at history. Take a look at what really happened. How many people were slaughtered? How many people were slaughtered for just saying what they thought? Not saying anything rude or mean, but just saying what they thought. And so in conclusion... God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time here at the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network.